I'm Lisa. I'm Julie. And together we are Two Sober Chicks. Just a reminder, because I had to remind the people at my church when they were taught when my pastor was like, You should go listen to two sober chicks, and I'm looking at them in horror. I'm like, just a reminder, it's rated E for explicit, not E for everyone. So if this is the first time you're listening to your this podcast, probably best you don't have impressionable minds mm-hmm. around you in the kitchen we, at your feet we do swear and we can be irreverent and just in case i thought it was e for excellent extraordinary <laughs> it's e for what is it e what does e stand for explicit explicit okay all right well it's not that bad but yeah for little youngsters probably around your feet and for the lily-eared churchgoers that mm-hmm. uh, go to my church yes. they'll be mortified and they will probably encourage my pastor to let me stop preaching to let you go yeah i remember i would hear constantly from my mother if my father were alive today i was like oh not again i'm gonna hear about how if he slammed his thumb with a hammer he would say gracious that was the most outrageous language he ever used <laughs> Oh, wow. My dad would say Jesus effing Christ. So (laughs) we know he's going to hell. But anyway, I didn't know. Good gracious. So my little trucker mouth was definitely looked down upon growing up. Mm -hmm. So you have a copy. How'd you get a copy of The Better Times? Because I'm so connected. Oh, wait. It was emailed to you from Willowdale. Yes. That is correct. What a good secretary you have. Well, it's not my group, but. Willowdale, oh. if you're listening, your secretary is amazing. Mm-hmm. So I got a copy of the December Better Times. Mm-hmm. And the Better Times, for people that don't know, is a publication by members of the greater Toronto area, which is where we live. And it's called, and it says Better Times, produced for AA members by AA members in the GTA. And this one's so cool because on the cover, it says step 12, pass it on. And then it's got pictures. So it says, Dr. Young told Roland. And you see Dr. Young and Roland. And Mm. Roland told Ebby. Ebby told Bill. Bill told Dr. Bob. Thank God someone told me. Mm. But what I thought was really funny is I think we almost sometimes put on a pedestal um, Bill and Bob. And we don't realize how much of a wreck they were at the beginning. And so in the did you know section, one of the things that it said, which made me laugh, is that on December 7th, 1934, Bill W. decided to investigate the Oxford Group mission at 246 East 23rd Street, New York. He showed up drunk with a drinking companion he found along the way. (laughs) Bill kept interrupting the service wanting to speak. (laughs) On the verge of being ejected, Ebby came by and fed Bill a plate of beans. (laughs) Bill later joined the penitents and drunkenly testified at the meeting. Mm. And then it goes on to say that on December 15th, 1934, a mere eight days later. Wait, is that the right math? I wasn't listening to the dates. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Yeah. Ebby T. gave Bill W., which is one of our co-founders, a copy of William James's book, The Variety of Religious Experience, which Lisa and I have seen in person at Dr. Bob's house. And it deeply inspired Bill by revealing three key points for recovery. One, calamity or complete defeat in a vital area of life, which is what we call hitting bottom today. Mm -hmm. 
Two, admission of defeat, or what we now call acceptance. And three, appeal to a higher power for help, or what we call surrender. These key points are also the basis for steps one, two, three. And there's all kinds of other, like, really cool stuff there. If anybody would like me to email them a copy of that, you can email us at the number two, soberchicks at gmail.com. I also have the November edition. That's awesome. What a great little plug for them as well. And they're also looking for um, submissions from people in the GTA who are members of Alcoholics Anonymous. So if you have a story, you could also contact them. Um, I think they have a word limit, like 500 words or something, but don't quote me on that. But you could contact them if you want to submit your own personal story or journey. That was fun. they have a word search, too. (laughs) Do they have cartoons? I remember at one point they used to have cartoons. Mm, They, not that I can see. And then there's also the Grapevine, which is more of an international publication, which started out as letters from Bill W. to the members of Alcoholics Anonymous and then blossomed into a newsletter and a magazine. Yeah, I think you can subscribe to it, can't you? We bring them into jails when they're old and people don't want them anymore. You can find them at aagrapevine.org. And I actually have some copies that have been being mailed to my house since COVID shut everything down, so... Oh, that's cool. I think I'm going to take them to um, the women's detox, women's own detox on behalf of St. Clement's. Oh, that's nice. Because I think they could use them there. The jails have um, have hundreds of them still. Yeah, so. we just got to make sure there's no staples in them when we bring them on their range. Yes. <laughs> the amazing what you can make a weapon with. Unbelievable what you learn when you go to prison. Well, and by the way, too, I was shocked as hell because I'm like, why do jails need AA meetings? Like... Are you, can you be anything but sober in jail? To mm. which I was explicitly told, do you really think people can't get high and drunk in jail? And right. then witnessed it myself. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. They do need AA in there. They so do. Yeah. yeah. And I was always amazed when you would actually get someone come to the meeting. Like when you go into a jail and you put on a meeting, mm-hmm. usually it's a small group. But I thought that's pretty brave to be in prison and to go to an AA meeting. Yeah. And then sometimes, like, when someone says, can you sign this for my parole officer? I have a court day coming up. And you say no, and then half the room leaves. And you're like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Also, for our Espanol listeners, there's La Vina. So, like I said, you can go to aagrapevine.org. They have, like, an e-version. You can have a regular version come to you. There's all mm-hmm. kinds of really cool stories and things. So, yeah. And the grapevine, especially when you're new, it's really nice because it's a whole bunch of uh, people's stories, like real live people from today. You know, the big book was written in the what, 1940s? 30 something. Late, late 30s? 39 maybe. Yeah. And so we always joke about how the language is outdated and it was written, written by a couple of old white dudes and... Um, you know, at least when you read the grapevine stories, it's about people from today. So it's a lot more relatable for people who are struggling with not only alcoholism, but other addictions and other issues, outside issues, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's great for the newcomer. Mm-hmm. That's what we used to do. We used to give them out a lot to newcomers when they'd come to our home group. Oh, I miss our home group. I do too. It's still nice to see people in in person and, you know, I see faces on the meetings, but you don't get to stand around either before or after the meeting and have a cup of coffee with people. And so it's a little bit different, different right now. But remember 
that um, they talk about in the 12 and 12, they talk about um, they were worried about alcoholics when the war came along and would mm-hmm. they stay sober. So, you know, we as alcoholics, we've been here before. We have survived pandemics and epidemics and wars mm-hmm. and struggle and managed to stay sober through it all. So if we can do it then, we can do it in 2020, people. So don't give up. Keep hanging in there. You yes. Know? We tend to think those of us, like in my lifetime, that I can remember, this is like the biggest deal that's ever happened. But if you talk to people in different generations who went through the civil rights movement or survived, um, what do they call it in war when you're like rationed? can't remember. Or the Great Depression or when the wars were happening. I mean the time of Nazi Germany, like there's a lot of really terrible stuff that we have survived as people. And it all goes down to an alcoholic or an addict that is practicing the principles of the program has tools to be able to deal with things outside of themselves, other circumstances, which is what you're talking about, how they talked about in the big book, like what happens when people go to war? Well, we do pretty good. I mean, Mm -hmm. despite the fact that I don't know if, um, how many people you know that have relapsed during COVID out of all the people I know in the program that I stay in touch with, there's maybe three, one, which was a very big surprise to me, but two of the others that I was not surprised by. So generally as bad as it has gotten, most people have not relapsed that I'm aware of. And that's what, you know, the saying um, has always concerned me when the saying meter meeting makers Makers make make it. it. Yeah, me too. And there was a lot of people who, once they stopped going to in-person meetings, Mm -hmm. they all of a sudden relapsed and they struggled. And, um, and that's why that saying has concerned me is because it's not just about going to the meetings. If that's the only thing that's keeping you from drinking, then you're not actually doing the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's in the work, it's in the Mm -hmm. steps, it's in the self-discovery, um, peeling back the, the layer that is us, we are the onion, you know, and we've got to keep working to, in order to keep growing and to stay sober. Um, and if you're just going to meetings and, you know, sharing whatever latest trivial events there are going on in your life and you just live to go to the meeting to hang out with other alcoholics, I think that there will come a day when you struggle. And I think this um, um, pandemic proved that. Well, if you're relying on meetings, you're relying on human aid. And it's very clear in our program, no human aid could have relieved our alcoholism. Right. So get right with God and work your program. Yep. Clean house. Help love. others. Trust God. I was going to say that. clean house, love God. <laughs> well, I don't remember now. Clean house. Clean house, trust God, help trust others. God. Help others. Yeah, you're right. Is that it? I feel like there's one more. I feel like we're missing one. No, I think it's the three legacies or like the, okay. I don't know. Trust God, clean house, help others. That's the, or we had it out of order. Okay. Trust God, clean house, help others. We just had it out of order. Trust God first. Yeah. It's Rely on something if greater. If you look at the steps, it's very simple. Trust God is the first couple of steps. Well, two and three. Clean house is like four, five, six, seven, eight, eight nine. Um, and then what's the other one? Uh, help others. Help others is 12, which means if you're doing 12, you're doing all the steps. Yeah. If you're doing 12, yeah, you definitely, and you have to do 10 and 11, right? Yep. Look what I have, Julie. Can you see this? Stop showing me your boobs. I told you I'm a married woman now. (laughs) (laughs) 
but I'm of a different flavor, so it shouldn't count. Um, <laughs> shut up. I'm not showing you my boobs. You can't see it, right? Because of the background thing I have on. I forgot I know. that. Okay, so this is Emmett Fox. Oh, Sermon on the Mount? No, this one's Around the Year. So What's it's that? a book of daily readings. Oh, that's yeah. cool. And I thought you'd like this one today. Um, I'll just read part of it. Please do. Oh, I'm getting new prescription for my glasses because already I need a higher strength prescription because this print is too small. And, oh, the lights are on in here. Um, December 5th. <laughs> She's so, her sight's so bad, she don't know what the lights are on. Living in the dark. Praise and affirmation. Uh, read Psalm 27. And now oh, shall... Oh, that's my favorite psalm. Well, one of them. I think they're all your favorites. Except um, the one where it talks about, please, God, dash the heads of children against the rocks. That's horrible. I know. <laughs> oh, the Bible frightens me, Julie, I must tell you. I know. <laughs> Bible people, frightens People have used it for horrible, terrible things. Yes. Um, okay, so this is not for horrible, terrible things. It's nice. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore, will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. This verse closes the first section with a burst of praise and thanksgiving and then moves into a form of supplication that is really affirmative. Praise and affirmation shall be allied. And then it says, hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou saidst, <laughs> seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. Mm -hmm. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, mm -hmm. then the Lord will take me up. Mm -hmm. Teach me my my Teach me thy way, O Lord. There's a lot of thys and thou's and o's. And you must be reading a King James version. I have no idea. And lead me into a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. Mm -hmm. The psalmist now prays for spiritual understanding and for peace of mind. The enemies, as always, are his own fears. And these fears mm. take their rise in the fact that false witnesses rise up and confront him. And no one who has been through this experience will doubt the appropriateness of that telling phrase that our fears are things such as breathe out cruelty. Verily, doubt and fear are the cruelest things that can come into the life of a man. Doubt and fear. As the enemy. Mm -hmm. Things that, uh, you know, things that we deal with, whether you or a religious person or not, things mm -hmm. that you deal with all the time. Um, definitely things that I've struggled with, doubt in myself, doubt in my own abilities, um, feeling like I'm not good enough, feeling like I won't be able to overcome something or to pass or to survive something. Um, and then the fear goes hand in hand with that doubt, fear of not being good enough, fear of not surviving, fear of not making it. So anyway, I thought you might like that. I do love that. I love that. Uh, it's a King James version, so it's obviously different than 
like I read the English standard version, so it's got none of the thys and the thous. Yeah. But one of the reasons that I love that Psalm is because, um, how I feel like my parents have not really been parents to me for most of my life, other than, you know, what you get credit for zero for, which is raising your children. You're supposed to be there. Right. So that last part of like my mother and my father have forsaken me, but you have taken up the spaces. My parents have always had parent has always been really um, sweet to me. Hmm. Like in the message. So the message is a super contemporary translation of the Bible by Eugene Peterson. It's like in everyday language. It literally says my father and mother walked out and left me, but God took me in. You've always kept the door open, which is like, oh, wow. So and good. It, I guess it's a testament to it doesn't matter where you've come from or what you've had to face in your life or whether um, uh, anyone has abandoned you. Your higher power will always be there for you. Mm -hmm. Even when you think he's not there. I think that's like just because we can't feel God or hear God or see God, that's never an indication that he's not there. It's like you said in the last podcast, like, I can't define God. How am I supposed to ever know God? Well, it's belief in the face of things that don't make sense. Like, it doesn't make sense to believe in God. It really doesn't. That's why it's called faith. Yeah, that's what faith is. And I want to state, this is one of the reasons why I love doing this podcast with you. My Christian, religious, Jesus freak friend. Mm -hmm. And I am your lesbian, agnostic. Lover. (laughs) Friend. (laughs) Um, And it's just, I think it's testament that two people of completely different backgrounds, likes, tastes, whatever, and beliefs, this is the program in action. Mm-hmm. We can come together, even though we don't always agree on things and we don't necessarily believe in the same things. And we get along and we we can find common ground. Does that make sense? Yeah, because it's all about the principles of the program. Like, first of all, God, as we understood him, was the smartest thing they ever did when they wrote the steps because Mm -hmm. it was never as we understand him. That was just put in later. But that right there gives us a platform to be able to say, unless you're super religious and you're like, no, there is no God as we understand him. There is one God and his name is whatever it is. Right. Um, That gives us the ability to be like, we're talking about a higher power. And mine may be Jesus and yours may be nature's like, it doesn't matter if we apply the principles of brotherly love and I love and tolerance is our code. Then there's no reason we can't be friends with anybody. Yeah. Unless they're like beating you. Well, abuse, all abuse Abuse, aside. That kind of thing. Yeah. I think if you are working your own principles and you have healthy boundaries and, you know, say, this is what I, this is what I expect, or this is what I can put up with, and this is what I can't. Um, but then it goes back to, well, don't have too many high expectations of people, because I can't, you know, dictate to you how exactly you should behave, nor you can dictate to me exactly how I should behave. But there's a common bond of respect and love, right? Yeah. So. You can let politics and religion and all kinds of other shit tear you apart from someone. You can absolutely do that. But that's you doing that. If somebody's not, in my opinion, politics and religion, fine. We have different views. But what's important to me is, are you a good friend to me? Do you love me? Do you care for me? Do you respect me? That's what my friendship is based on. Not whether or not you're Biden or Trump or 
pro-life or pro-choice or I don't know what else, like other things that divide people. Yeah. I have a friend who says that uh, she her her partner is um, extremely religious um, and they do not see eye to eye on certain things. Um, I, he's pro-life. She's pro-right to choose abortion. And um, but they just don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. You know, and she says, and I know he would take a bullet for me. Like mm-hmm. it's that kind of fierce loyalty and fierce love. So, yeah. Oh, deep topics, deep talking. Anyway. Oh, and I wanted to ask you, you once told me you didn't like Emmett Fox. Or did I make that up in my head? No, I think you're right. I just don't remember why I said that. I think I didn't like the Sermon on the Mount because for me, he was relaying a very different kind of message than what I thought the whole point of the Beatitudes, which is the Sermon on the Mount, which is like for people that have never heard it, it's like the meek shall inherit the earth. It's basically Jesus saying people think it's about how you should treat people or what's going to happen to people, but it's about how God sees people. Um, I just don't like the, his interpretation at all, but I know so many people that love it and it's really helpful for people. My sponsor loves I'm pointing it. I think at me. she's I given it. me that book, like in every form available. I have okay. it on CD. I have it in book and I just, I've tried and I can't get into it. But what I love is that I can talk to people that don't like the Bible, don't like Christianity, but we can talk about the Beatitudes because they know what the Sermon on the Mount is right. like that, that. I love him for that. Yeah. It's like, I think um, it's so important to have an open mind, right? Um, it's like I've learned things. My friend Sarah is always talking about Ramdas. I don't even know who the fuck Ramdas is. Ramdas. <laughs> He's this wonderfully enlightened man, to put and it short. Type of, what's his spiritual background? I believe you know? he's Buddhist. Buddhist. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, like we can and Buddhist principles, and you talk about Christian principles, and somebody else can talk about Judean principles, and at the end of the day, when you sit down and talk about it, they're all pretty much the same fucking thing. You know? Be mm-hmm. kind. Be good to each other. Take care of yourself. Keep your own side of the street clean. You know? Don't bear false witness against people. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's all kind of saying the same fucking thing. So, I love it. Keep it open mind. It's very important. Um, I think we should end this one on that note. Okay. Put your shirt on now, please. (laughs) People are not going to believe you. Actually, they might. They might. (laughs) They're fabulous. They need to breathe. Shut the fuck up. I'm Lisa. I'm Julie. And this has been Two Sober Chicks.